Welcome to New Sound Church's weekly podcast. We are a church located in Palm Beach County, Florida, and we are so glad that you're listening to this week's message from our pastor, Pastor Josh Mott. For more information about New Sound Church, you can visit our website at www.newsound.church and follow us on Instagram and Facebook. Now today, uh, I want to get into the start of a new series that I hope you're really going to enjoy. I've been praying about it a lot and thinking about this particular series for months, and I'm very excited for it. And it's, we've called it Home Improvement, a step-by-step guide to a stronger home. But the reality is, if I can just be 100% honest with you, that while that is the name of the sermon series, the actual topic uh, goes back thousands and thousands of years. Now, before I get going, I need you to understand something. There's a few truths in this life. See, aging is automatic, right? Wisdom is not, right? Death is automatic. It's coming. Nobody ever misses their death date. It happens 100% of the time. Death is automatic. Living, though, is not. Growth is not automatic. Time happens automatically. And a lot of us are doing relationships and marriage, and we're raising kids unintentionally. It's almost accidentally happening to us. Our kids are growing up and nobody's got to tell me how fast that goes. I feel like we just got the first one home and now we're at number four. And I just, I'm like, but I'm done. Don't, don't, by the way, I'm, I'm done. I'm out. I'm out of the game. I've officially entered retirement. They hung up my jersey. I'm out of the game. Because at the end of the day, and I need to say this because none of my kids are in church. I don't even like kids. Um, my wife's just hot, you know? And so it's a whole thing. I, that's not the sermon though. That's not the sermon That's not the sermon. We'll get to that a different time. But growth and all of that, it's not automatic. It doesn't just happen, and and, um, it's going to take some work. And people say that, man, you know, when we got married, they didn't hand us an instruction manual. When when we started having kids, we didn't have an instruction manual. And and I actually kind of tend to believe that there was actually an instruction manual uh, written. And we just don't know how to access it sometimes to be able to learn the things that we need so that our dating relationships and our marriage relationships and our kid relationships and our parent relationships and our sibling relationships and our friend relationships, where they could be all that God intended uh, for them to be. So let me ask you this, with all of those relationships that I just mentioned, what would life look like if all of those were at their capacity? What would life look like if your marriage was as strong as it could be? Like your relationship with your kids was as strong as it could be. Your relationship with God, with the church, with your friends. With, what would that even look like? Could you even begin to imagine? You see, some of us, we feel like we're winning at a few relationships and struggling at others. Some of us came in here today feeling like we're struggling at all of them. But maybe let me ask you in a different way. What's at stake if we don't get these right? We always like to think of what we could tend to gain, but I wonder what's at stake. How much potential and purpose and joy and power that we might be giving away when we just believe that somehow these things are going to just take care of themselves uh, by themselves. Now, the series that we wanted to do is actually a little different. You see, I believe that years and years ago, thousands of years ago, on the backside of the desert, before there was internet, before there was phone, before there was social media, before there was 
I-95, before there were all these things that bring us so much stress and pain, okay? Before all of those things existed, um, there was a list of rules. They weren't super complicated, but as you'll find about a lot of things that God teaches, simple and easy aren't the same thing. And there was this list of rules that came down that before all of these distractions, before all of these things that would come up against my life and your life, before they had ever been introduced in the world, this list of rules was put down on a sheet of paper, on a stone, chiseled down, and then handed down on papyrus, thousands and thousands of years, copied verbatim, all the way up into me and you, and we get to this place today, and I would submit to you that if we could figure out how to live by these 10 simple rules, our lives would change forever. Now, some of you might be pushing back on me a little bit and going, well, Josh, this is like, I'm in a series on the 10 commandments, really? That's gonna be what you're gonna do? That's what's gonna help my marriage? That's what's gonna help my family? That's what's gonna help my relationship with my kids and, or my parents or my siblings? I want you to think about the genius of God. That on the backside of the desert, in the middle of nowhere, a list of ten rules came out. Without Moses having any idea of all the things that you and I would be up against in this modern era. And yet when you go through those rules, you find everything that you would need to live a life that looks free, that honors God, and brings the best out of every relationship in your life. You see... We'll say things like this in Christianity. Hey, well, didn't Jesus kind of get rid of that whole rules thing, right? Because like now basically, right, that we got grace now, right? And so we kind of do whatever we want to, right? That's the whole thing. That's kind of why I, like, I did Christianity. I like Jesus. I like that British blue-eyed, soft-spoken, khaki-pants-wearing Jesus. And I like how he says everything at a whisper tone, and that's really nice. And, and then he came to get rid of all the rules. And basically, that means I can do whatever I want, whatever I want, and then all I got to do is say, with all due respect. You know, with all due respect, I didn't mean to. And he's like, isn't that what that means? I'm like, I, I would argue with the church. I don't think you know what that statement means. I don't think you know what with all due respect means at all. All you got to do is go, oh, Jesus, my bad. <laughs> That's on me. That's on me. And he's like, I know. It was like, who'd you think? It wasn't on me. I know it was on you. And you go, well, didn't Jesus come to get rid of all the rules? He, 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 he came to get rid of all those so that now we can just kind of make our own subjective truth, kind of live by our own code, hakuna matata dog. And then, and then, if we do feel guilty about something, then all we got to do is say, I'm sorry. And Jesus actually spoke to the idea. In Matthew chapter 5, he said, do not think... For a second, don't think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. No, I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Meaning until I come back and there's a new heaven and a new earth and we hit the reset button, he said, until then, the rules are still the rules. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands 
and teaches others accordingly, saying, okay, just do 9 out of 10. Just go for even 9 out of 10. I would take those odds to Vegas. Just do 9 out of 10. He said, anybody that even leaves one out that doesn't hold to it, he said, there's a problem. He said, you're least in the kingdom of heaven, but whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So I thought, man, we got to tell our church the rules. Because the reality is, I imagine that if I handed out a piece of paper today and said, all right, quick, pop quiz, Ten Commandments, go. You have three minutes. I wonder how many of us would actually be able to write down all ten. You might be able to start out pretty strong. Honor the Lord thy God. Okay, that's easy, number one. Don't ever forget that. Honor the Lord your God. Got it, check. And then be unto others as you would have them. A house divided against itself. E poor basunum. Okay, two. I know two. I know two. And you say, really, I mean, could this really help? I would submit to you that these simple rules, I think they're simple. They're not always easy. But I think these simple rules could change your life forever and change every relationship that you're in. In Exodus 20, we actually see the first one here. And we'll start there. It says, and God, he spoke all these words. He says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. And then number three, here's, here's rule number one. You shall have no other gods before me. That's it. There's one. Just me. Number two, you shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. He said don't worship anything. Don't make an image. Don't make a statue. It's me, it's me, it's me, because the minute you start to try to put me in a box of what I look like, then you'll immediately try to put me in a box of what I can do. And I am all things, I am everywhere, I know all things, I can do all things, I am all things. And he said, you shall not bow down to them or worship. Now then you, I say that and you go, whew, okay, because I'm good then, because I don't actually worship anything else. Like I don't worship anything else, like I don't have any like weird little statues in my house, that I'm just every now and then I'm like, mm -mm, you know, doing a thing. Or like before I leave the house, or like I'm not doing anything like that. There's nothing weird. I don't pray to a different God with like a different name. So I'm not doing anything like that. So I should be good. And then the apostle John was writing in 1 John and he actually kind of laid out these things that you and I were going to have to contend with. These things that you and I were going to have to deal with. These, I would argue, these little G gods that we're going to, since the beginning of time, compete with the big G God. Doing everything in their power to try to get you to worship something other than the God that we were made to worship. First John, in the second chapter, it says, for everything in the world, that's the stuff that's not God. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires will pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. So what do we got? So he says, we got the lust of the flesh, 
Now, that doesn't just necessarily mean sexual. That, that can mean like just letting my body control me. That's why we fast, because we fast to say, hey, body, you do not control me. I'll eat when I want to eat. But sometimes we don't have control over our bodies anymore, and we just wake up, and you're just sleeping all night. You're thinking about pancakes. You wake up, and you can't wait to get a biscuit. You, you already got it in the toaster, so you can just hit it when you wake up. It's just... We just got it like it's just the lust of the flesh. I can't give it up. Now, it's not always sexual. It has a piece of that in it. But then the second would sound like the same thing, but it says the lust of the eyes. That's different. See, the lust of the flesh says, I want this for me. The lust of the eyes says, I want what you have. And it takes no joy in having something, only in having more than somebody else. And so I'm always grabbing and I'm always looking and I got to get the nicer car and the bigger house and the more stuff and it's compete, compete, compete constantly. It's the lust of the eyes. I'm looking at everybody else. I'm flipping through Instagram and I'm 100% convinced that everybody else has their life together and mine's the only one that's a dumpster fire. Well, I got news for you. It's not Instagram, it's Insta scam, okay? And don't compare your everyday life against somebody else's highlight reel. They're lying too. So you've got the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and then he says the pride of life. Now, he actually made in this rule, in this list of 10 rules, there's actually one that deals on the lust of the eyes. And we'll get to that in a few weeks. There's actually one that deals with the lust of the flesh. We'll actually deal with that in a couple of weeks. But today I wanted to center on this little G God that I think is robbing you from your potential. You'll actually see it show up all the way when sin was entered into the world. In Genesis chapter 3, you actually see these things show up for the first time. And it says, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, there's the lust of the flesh, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, I saw it first, And that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise. The pride of life. I want to know what God knows. I want to be the sinner. I don't want him to be the sinner. She took of the fruit and she did eat it. And she gave it to her husband with her and he did eat. So let me give you three little G's. Three little G's that are competing with this big G, God. So God said, hey, Put me first over everything else. And I think a lot of times we let ourselves off the hook because we go, I haven't built a shrine. There are no altars. I'm not bowing down and worshiping to anything else. The reality is, though, as we begin to look at our life, we realize that there's a lot of G gods that we're actually spending a ton of time worshiping in our life. I would say it to you like this. The girls, it's the girls, it's the gold, and it's the glory. It's the lust of the flesh. It's the lust of the eyes. And it's the pride of life. Now, ladies, I'm, I guess I could have said the guys, but I didn't want to put that in my notes. <laughs> it's the girls, the gold, and the glory. These three G's that are, when you wake up in the morning, these things are coming after you. When you wake up in the morning, I want you to go back and I want you to think about your life. Anytime that you've had a tempting thought, anything, any moment that you find yourself where you've gotten in a season where you've gotten off track from God's best for your life, go back and actually ask yourself honestly, what was it that got you sideways? There was something that I wanted to make this feel better, even if it only lasted for a moment. 
So it's something that I would drink. It was something that I would take. It was something that I would smoke. It was something that I would touch. It was something. I needed to make this shell that I've been put in for just a little while just feel better, even if it was just for a little while. And even though I know on the backside of that decision, I'm always going to feel worse. I'll take the crash just to feel better for a minute. Or the jobs or the choices that you've been making for years and years and years to get more money so that we can get a little bit bigger house with a little bit one extra room that nobody sleeps in ever. And then, uh, and, and then if we can just get a little bit nicer car, because I had a car, I had a car that had this one little symbol on it. Um, but if I could get the car that had the other little symbol on it, right? You're like, oh, what's the difference? Well, one's got four doors and wheels. How about the other one? Four, 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 four doors and wheels. But you got in debt for that one, so you could have that one, because I really need that thing, because I really care whether or not you think I'm making it. And I don't want to say that out loud, but I can't be driving around some hoopty, not a man of my stature. <laughs> it's the girls, it's the gold, it's the glory. You're, doing, you're spending money you don't have on things you don't need to impress people you don't like. Go back and think about your life. It's the gold, it's the, it's, it's the girls, it's, it's the glory. It ruined the first marriage. It ruined the first sibling relationship. And this thing, this pride of life that can get us so sidetracked, it becomes this moment. The pride of life is this moment where I worship me because pride in and of itself always puts me as the central focus of my life story. There cannot be anybody else that takes a more important place in my life when pride is at the center. C.S. Lewis actually said that pride is the complete anti-God state of mind where I'm constantly thinking about me. So it doesn't mean thinking less of yourself or thinking lowly of yourself. You are smart. You are beautiful. You do have a lot of skills. But I was thinking this week, how could I define pride in this generation for our church in this season? And I thought pride is taking credit for something where we should feel indebted. So pride is taking credit. So like, we, like I, I get it. I see your Instagram feed and like every single pic is a selfie. I mean, every, now and then, then let somebody else get in on your feed. Just let somebody get in there and just, just, just grace your feed for a little while. But it's always me. And it's always, because uh, I'm always the center. I have to be, uh, probably because I don't have any other healthy relationships in your life. Listen, the reality is, if you're always taking a selfie, uh, it's because there wasn't anybody else there to take the picture. That's the problem. So, I'm going I'm to lay this down. Thank you. Thank you. So, so. But it's always the focus. And I see your pictures. Because you're like, oh, just wishing my baby niece or a happy birthday. And like, all I can see is her foot out of focus in the background. But you got that shirt on like, just wishing my niece a happy birthday. And I'm like, you don't like that girl. You're always in the focus. And so, 
Like, yes, you're beautiful. You are. You're beautiful. And that's fantastic. And I'm glad you've recognized it. And I'm glad people like and comment and share it. But do you remember the day that you actually willed your molecules into position so that you would be considered beautiful by 2019 standards? Do you remember when you did that? Oh, no. You mean you were actually created that way? You mean God actually did that? And side note, we're only beautiful by 2019 standards. Listen, I wish we were in the Renaissance because in the Renaissance, um, you were celebrated if you were a little fluffy. You know what I'm talking I'm trying to be Renaissance beautiful. I'm not trying to be 2019 beautiful. But we're always at the center of everything that we're doing and every room that we walk into. And if you're ever going to make a great and significant difference in this life, you're going to have to learn how to walk into rooms and notice other people. But the pride of life walks into every room wondering who is going to celebrate me this time. You see, the reality is when you will adopt a healthy God-centered mindset for your life that your job is to notice people and elevate them, nobody on the planet can ever take your purpose from you. So, come on. So if my purpose is walking in a room and seeing how many people will celebrate and acknowledge me, you can take my purpose away from me at any moment. Because a new cool thing comes along, somebody else slicker knows how to preach it a little better, and then I'm gone. But when my purpose is centered on elevating you into all that God has for you, and every time I walk in a room, I'm just trying to be a yes for you and the dreams that God built you for, you can't take my purpose from me because I'm building other people. But when I am the center of the known world, then I wonder every time when I walk in who has noticed me lately and you are picking and choosing relationships based on who has told you how great you are today if you quit a relationship because of something somebody did not do for you you did not end a friendship you fired a servant pride is the complete anti-god state of mind and this is how you'll know if it's there i compare myself to everybody else to know how far ahead i am so I can't even enjoy you being elevated or celebrated because pride says that you winning is me losing. Insecurity, though, see, that's pride's ugly little sister. It's the same exact thought process. Every time I walk in a room, I'm thinking about me. I can't quit thinking about me. Every time I walk in, but I, it's not for the same reasons as pride. See, pride walks in with their chest stuck out and their head held high, wondering how many people are going to worship at their feet today. And insecurity is almost sure that they don't belong in the room. They don't offer anything. If anybody ever really knew all the things they've done or said, if anybody ever really knew all the mistakes that I'd made, if anybody ever really understood how short I've fallen, and so we walk in, not chest out, head up, slumped over and sure, that we don't measure up and don't belong. Insecurity is an inability or a refusal to acknowledge the gifts you've been given. But it's still focused on this pride of life that was going to rob you of your purpose. Because in every room that you walk into, you are still the center of your story. It's just the uglier version of the same thought. So I compare myself to others 
to know how far behind I am. I compare myself to others to know how far behind I am. It's not God. He loves you and he made you for a reason and he thinks you're pretty fantastic. But he doesn't believe you're above helping somebody else and loving and caring for somebody else. And he doesn't believe you're a worthless worm that's worthy of being ignored. He thinks you're fantastic. And my Bible says that he actually believed you to be worth dying for. But know this, an unguarded strength is a double weakness. So confidence, the confidence that I have to walk in a room and believe that I could move that room, I could make a difference. See, unguarded, it's a double weakness. It becomes the pride of life, it becomes ugly, it becomes arrogant, it becomes self-centered and gross. But then for those of us that suffer from insecurity, for those of us that sit on the other side of that fence, then I would give you this encouragement. A perceived weakness might be a hidden strength. See, the thing that you're holding on to right now that you think is actually the thing that you're most ashamed of, it's either the choices that you've made or it's the gifts or the quirks or the ticks or the things that you think about that other people don't think about. It's those things that you wish you didn't have. It's actually, those are actually the things that God might actually be able to use to make a difference in somebody's life. So yeah, you're super detailed. Yeah, you're super detailed. Well, you shouldn't be a greeter. You shouldn't. You shouldn't. It stresses you out. It stresses us out. And we can tell you're smiling fake. You're just like, <laughs> what's wrong with their face, introvert? Let's get you on a spreadsheet, buddy. Let's get you on a spreadsheet. Let's dot some I's and cross some T's together in the name of Jesus. You say, man, Josh, I'm just not very detailed. I'm just not very detailed. That's like being around people. We're not going to get you in the back to go through the connection cards and count the money. You get distracted. But we'll put you by the front door so you can smile. Shiny. Shiny. Person. Touch it. That's great. We want to turn you loose. So I look back. I love the story of David. You know, he's a middle school boy. You know, and there's nothing weirder on the planet than a middle school boy. And I think that God used the middle school boy on purpose because he wanted the world to know that a perceived weakness is actually a strength. I mean, you got to think about this. Middle school boys, they always smell like wet puppy. It doesn't matter if you just bathed them or not. They always smell like wet puppy. Their hands and their feet are too big for their body. They look like a lab. They look like a little Labrador. They're just flopping all over. They smell weird. Their face is awful. They're just, and their voice. And so he goes down. He goes down to the greatest warrior in the known land, Goliath, and he's like, hey, you listen here. <laughs> Sword and shield I do not have, but in the name of God. <clears throat> and we look at that and we go, poor pitiful David. Poor pitiful David going down there looking all goofy, just throwing rocks at bad guys. But I came across this, a slinger in that time. This is a pretty interesting. Slingers, which he had a sling in his hand, that's how he killed him, were known to hurl their projectiles even farther as much as 440 yards, a quarter mile. Experiments demonstrate that missiles leave a sling in excess of 60 miles per hour and that he continues on to say that at close range, 
that that rock had the stopping power of a 44 caliber bullet. We look at poor, pitiful David, and I look at a man that took a gun to a knife fight because a perceived weakness is only a weakness until you hand it over to God and say, God, use this to make an impact. And so if insecurity has been plaguing you, it's because you have the wrong thought about how you got put together. You are fearfully and you are wonderfully made. But the reality is you can't believe that until you get a proper view about who God actually is. I want to give you a few thoughts. The first thing that you're going to have to figure out how to do, and this is my prayer for every person in this room, every single week, every single day, you got to learn to love God completely. To love God completely. That that is the only way that you're ever going to be able to get over you being the center of your universe. You can't fix a problem by removing it. You'll only fix it by replacing it. You've got to take yourself off of the throne of worship. And you've got to put God there in the center. And you've got to know that he is all powerful. He is all present. And he is all knowing. In fact, the way that we would say that is God is omnipotent. God is omnipresent. And God is omniscient. God is all powerful. God is everywhere, and God is omniscient or all science. See, I, I, I want to say something real quick. Some of you are struggling with your relationship with God because you believe that science has actually proven that there's a problem with God. I have a degree in biochemistry, and I actually came here to tell you today that a little science estranges men from God, and a lot of science will bring them back. The math doesn't support random molecules banging together in the cosmos that create me and you. You wouldn't buy that for anything else in the world, so why in the world would you sell, let somebody sell that for you? Explosions in printing presses don't make dictionaries. And tornadoes don't blow through junkyards and make 747s. Every time I see something that was fearfully and wonderfully made, it points back to a maker of the thing. A hundred trillion billion years ago. It helps it make more sense if I add a lot of time to it, okay? So just go with me. A hundred bajillion years ago, my granddad would say a blue jillion years ago, a blue jillion years ago, there was like a delicious clear liquid floating on a rock. And it was like, I think it was like 30, 40 million years from the plastic began to creep up the side of this delicious clear liquid. Now, where'd the liquid come from? I don't have time for that. And where'd the rock come from? It's whatever. Um, and, but just go with me because it took billions of years, Okay. Plastic began to creep up the side of this deal. And then eventually, um, some white uh, paint actually kind of came down from the sky to color the top. And that's where water bottles come from. Now, <laughs> you laugh because it doesn't matter how much time I add to this. Trillions and billions and gazillions of years. This water bottle that will never laugh, never cry, never hold a baby, never long for purpose, never get you know, upset, never cry itself to sleep, never fall in love. This water bottle, they never do anything other than just hold the water that I'm carrying right now. And once it's done, it'll be discarded for all time. This water bottle that is so simple that no matter how much time, however, there's no amount of time that I could add where you would somehow believe that this water bottle came from nothing, then why in the world would you let somebody convince you that you came from nothing? You were made. Which then begs the question, Why? Because everything that gets made has a reason for the creation. And you owe it to yourself to begin to ask that question. Because the modern science of the day says that there was some goo floating around in the ocean at one point 
And there was like this little goo, and then one day he was just floating around. It was like 100 bazillion years ago, and it was like, you know what? I'd like legs. And then that's where monkeys come from. Right? But think about it. So that goo came out of the ocean. This is the science. This is science. The goo came out of the ocean. Now, why did it come out of the ocean if it didn't have lungs? And how did it get out of there if it didn't have legs? So which one came first? Did it get lungs and legs at the same time or did it get lungs? Did it get legs and then walk out and go, too soon? And just kept doing that until it was ready to go out. And then here's the other thing that you have to realize about goo is the boy goo and the girl goo would have to come out of the ocean at the same time and she'd have to be into him. Well, the reality is she wasn't ready to leave the ocean when he was ready to leave the ocean. You know that. She needed 10 more minutes. And so then eventually they came out and that's where monkeys come from. And then one day a monkey was sitting around doing Sudoku or whatever super smart monkeys do. And then um, he was like, you know what? I want to be a people. And that's where you come from. And the science, the best explanation is we went from the goo uh, to the zoo to you. God did it. God did it. And he did it for a reason. And I want to encourage you. Your God can hold up to big questions. So you go, well, I don't understand this. Well, go do something besides looking at the first YouTube video that comes up when you type something into Google. Okay, step one. Step two, read a book. God loves you and he made you for a reason. A.W. Tozer, the theologian, said, what you think, what comes to your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. So what comes to mind when you think about God? If you don't have a correct view of God, you'll never get a correct view of yourself. Because Jesus said this, they came to him in Matthew 22 and said, teacher, what's the greatest commandment in the law? And he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. See, remember, we've been talking about that. You, you got to get rid of the little G gods. You got to put God at the center. He said, but the second one's like it. He said, you got to learn to love your neighbor as yourself. Simple, right? Simple, but not easy. And here's why. I think that for a lot of us, as I get around you and I do life with you, I think you are loving your neighbor as yourself. Problem is you just don't love you very much. So they're getting exactly that much from you as well. And you'll never fall in love and understand that all your quirks and your hang-ups, you weren't an accident. You weren't some mistake where God forgot to add patience or a love for spreadsheets or desire to go talk to people. Quit focusing on all the things that you didn't get and instead start mining out all of the things that he gave you. See, the world wants you to focus on what you didn't get handed. Jesus wants you to focus on what he built you to do. So if you can learn to love God completely, you'll get a chance to love myself correctly. See, I can't love myself until I fully buy into the idea that I'm not a mistake. I'm not random molecules banging together in the cosmos, and I am not a defective model. I got made exactly the way 
my father wanted me put together. And I don't need somebody else to tell me that. Because Jesus already did. And out of that place, then I can love others compassionately. See, I'll never be able to love you for all your flaws and for all your hang-ups and for all your shortcomings. If I don't understand that, see, you got put together the same way I got put together. And pride is taking credit for something where I should feel indebted. And insecurity is pretending like I didn't get handed anything. But the pride of life will rob you of joy when you walk into every room and have to be the center of every room. Either because you think you're better than it or because you think you don't belong in it. This little boy made a boat. He knew every single inch of this boat, the sail and the little mast. He took that little boat down to the river and he had a rope and he didn't get in the boat. That wasn't the relationship he had with the boat. He would just walk next to the boat so he could see this thing that he had made. And he would walk back and forth next to the bank admiring this thing that he knew every square inch of. And one day a storm came up and took the boat from his hands. And that boy mourned that boat every day till one day he saw as he walked through the middle of town hanging in the window of the general store. That's my boat. You see, once you've made something, you'll recognize it anywhere. And he walked over and he went to the general store and he said, hey, sir, that's my boat. And the gentleman said, well, it'll only cost you $100. $100 for something I made? He said, that's the price. You lost it, now you buy it. And the little boy went about mowing grass and collecting cans and saved up every bit of money that he could. And then he came in one day at the end of the summer and he took this wadded up sweaty handful of money and he slammed it down on the desk. He said, I'll take my boat today, sir. The old man got the boat down and he put it on the cart and the little boy started walking out, just strutting. And the old man said, hey, boy, 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 wait, wait, wait. I got to ask you a question. Why are you so happy? I just made you buy back your own boat. And he said, well, see now, now she's twice mine. See, first I made her. Then I bought her. And the Bible says in the beginning when God created Adam and Eve, he walked in the cool of the garden. The relationship at that time wasn't for him to live inside of them as we have the opportunity now. He would walk along with them in the cool of the garden and admire that creation. And a storm came up. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. And the tether between God and man was separated. And the devil of hell said, you can have them back, but it'll cost one life. And on the day that Jesus went to the cross to pay for every mistake that I would make and every mistake that you would ever make, I think the devil of hell was probably laughing to himself for just a minute. And he had to look at God and say, 
How could you have any joy in this moment? I just made you buy back something that you made. And God said, well, see, now they're twice mine. First I made them. Then I bought them. For some of you today, you've fallen out of that love. You feel the tether between you and your heavenly father. You felt the moment you can speak to the day that that rope slipped out of your hand. And you have found yourself in this place where your eyes or your body or your ego are driving your decisions and they're fueling your life and you don't know how to get off. You'll never fix your life by removing a problem. You'll only fix it by replacing it. And today as we close, I want to invite you to put the big G God back in his rightful seat. The one that he has bought and paid for. Religion will make it complicated, but Christianity is very simple. That we would have to acknowledge the sin that's in our life. And it's there. But Jesus, I believe that you died for me to pay for those sins. I believe you died for me so that I can live for you. And so today, in the best way I know how, I commit my life to you. Be my Lord and my Savior and wash me white as snow. And the Bible says your past is forgiven and your future is secure. And the rope between you and the Father The tether between you and the Son is reconnected. And I want to invite you today to make that decision. See, we could do a series on, like, here's how you talk to your spouse, and here's how to do a good date night, and, you know, beat your kids so they'll listen. We could do that, okay? And I'll, I mean, I'm, I'm for, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll hit your kids for you. Like, I'll, I'll serve you in that way. Like, whatever I got to do. But what I know what we really need, see, there was this little list of ten rules that got written down thousands of years ago. And if we would sell out to those, every relationship in our life would change forever. A relationship with God in our relationships with each other. I want to pray for you. Father, we love you. And we thank you so much for what you're doing in this place. And God, I recognize today for some of us, God, we're near to, we're, 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 we're here, but we're still so far from you. But we want to come home. Church, you know God's speaking to you right now. You know that his Holy Spirit is saying, it's It's time. And very simply, right there in your seat, I'm not going to bring you down front. I'm not going to whisk you off to some double top secret prayer room. Right there in your seat, you know that God's speaking to you. And you say, God, my eyes, my flesh, my ego, all these little G's, they're in the way. God, I give my life to you. I surrender my life to you.
Change me, God. Jesus, I acknowledge the sins in my life. Jesus, I believe that you died for me so that I could live for you. And today, in the best way I know how, I commit my life to you. Be my Lord and my Savior. Wash me white as snow. Change me right now. And I don't ever want to be the same. In Jesus' name. Thank you so much for listening to this week's message from Pastor Josh Monty. If your life has been impacted by today's message, we would love for you to share your story with us by emailing story at newsound.church. Join us again next week for another inspirational message from New Sound Church.